0: Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're the hosts of Round Springfield, the Max Fun Simpsons adjacent podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you've probably heard, it's time for the Max Fun Drive. This is yeah. the time of year, yeah, baby. This is the time of year where we ask you and your fellow Max Fun listeners to support us by becoming members.
1: And when you become a member, you affect our ability to continue Round Springfield, as well as help all the other Max Fun shows and get new shows.
0: Yeah, joining is so easy, so you can choose a monthly amount that's comfortable for you. Most folks give $5 a month or $10 a month. Some even upgrade to $20, $35, or even 100 Um, We understand that this is a difficult time, but whatever you can give is really, really appreciated. So in addition to helping out
1: our show and our entire MaxFun network, we want to thank you for supporting us by giving you really awesome gifts. Uh, we have really cool bonus content that's only available for people who are members. We have amazing enamel pins, and this year's special gift is a custom dice set and custom playing cards specifically based on MaxFun shows. So visit MaximumFun.org join to become
0: a member. We'll tell you more about the Max One Drive during our break. But now it's time to dive into the episode. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And, and we're, we're going, going round <laughs> Springfield. Springfield. <laughs> We'll oh, never it be feels good. good. Well, I was going to say feels good every time, you know. Feels it's wrong just like, every time. Mm, but wrong <laughs> is the new right, Allie. I
1: don't know <laughs> if it is, Julia.
0: <laughs> well, why don't we write a song about it? Hmm. Um, we are here uh, coming to you from Quar. Uh, hope you're doing good in your Quar Corner. Hashtag Quar Corner. <laughs> and I'm so excited. We are nearing the end of our little mini series run for this new podcast, Allie. And I mean, we are wrapping it up with a bang. I mean, in any way that we could, because everyone that's worked on The Simpsons is a banger of a guest. Absolutely. (laughs) And and today's guest is uh, no exception. And I'm just gonna jump in and introduce him because we have so much road ahead of us talking about this person's amazing life. And I just want to bring them into the room. So Please welcome, you know him as an animator, a director, a writer, currently a consulting producer on The Simpsons. Heard of it? Please welcome <laughs> David Silverman.
2: Hi, everybody. Hey, hey David. David! I was sitting back in the green room. I thought I was going to be here beer far longer, but here I am on stage.
1: <laughs> and you brought your tuba. <laughs> I,
2: I have several. Can't you see them? Oh wait, yes. Not, oh okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't pull the curtain back too far.
2: <laughs> I know. Don't 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 show off everything. I well, how are you all doing?
1: We're doing pretty well and we're, we're really excited to have you on this version of the show. Our listeners of Everything's Coming Up Simpsons will remember you being on the show on our live version that we did and on uh, the classic in-person version that we did and uh, you're very much a friend to the show. In this new version, uh, we get to have a more casual kind of deep dive in your entire career and one of the purposes of that is a lot of Simpsons fanatics like myself and julia before we ourselves get into the uh tv space um if we ever do that is uh it's easy to think of you guys and everyone who's worked on the show as being this, uh, you know, this flawless individual who was just born as this immensely talented, gifted person because you guys worked on The Simpsons. So uh,
2: <laughs> we <Exactly> both want to. show, so. Yes, yes.
1: That's how it, that's how it is. <laughs> well, that's that your affirmation. Sums it up. Yeah. I think we're done.
2: I said goodnight, everybody. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, yes. How did it all happen, right?
1: How did it all happen? And then also, as deep as you're willing to get into any insecurities or things that have been shitty or the times that you wanted to quit, we, we want to hear it all. And I think there's no better place to start than when you were just a baby. I've read some interviews of yours where I know that you, and you talked to us about uh, how you kind of liked art since the beginning, I know that your yes. mom was an art historian, which is the coolest yes. thing I've ever heard in a mother. Very, um, very helpful
2: for <laughs> for a budding uh, boy cartoonist, that is or a so girl cool. cartoonist.
0: What was that experience like growing up, and you know, having well, a household that was like encouraging and surrounded by art?
2: I just remember, you know, drawing from a very early age and liking it because, I you know, I guess around like a little bit before four, we have some vague memory of what our life was like. And I just remember sure. drawing. I remember uh, a house that was filled with a, a lot of great music that I enjoyed. And also my parents at a very young age took us to see like Gilbert and Sullivan. I think I was four <laughs> or five years old and I saw, you know, trial by jury and pinafore with the wow. actual doily cart, uh, opera company, which is, you know, where Gilbert and Sullivan first start started with. And, wow. um, I really liked it, and I really liked live theater, and I loved animation. And I remember thinking at a very early age because I was big fans of an old show. Well, of course, I was fans of not only uh, you know Huckleberry Hound and Yogi Bear, but also Jay Ward shows like uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle and the, the Great Time for Beanie Show, and uh, well, actually, the Beanie and Cecil Show. I was too young for Time for Beanie, the puppet show, <laughs> and uh, you know, and of course, all the Warner Brothers cartoons. And uh, also, you know, there are two other things that sort of inspired me that, wait, you can do this for a living. One was, of <laughs> course, the wonderful world of Disney, where Uncle Walt would show us how the things were done. And the other one was the Woody Woodpecker show where uh, Walter Lance, another Walt in the animation <laughs> business, would show, here, boys and girls, this is how we draw cartoons. <laughs> like oh, people wow. wearing people in white shirts, wearing ties, drawing pictures. I guess as an adult, <laughs> you keep doing this. It's not just a kiddie thing. So. Uh, I couldn't think of a good reason to stop drawing, so I kept it up. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I just kept doing it.
1: You mentioned Warner Brothers, and uh, there's actually a quote that you had in a, in a different interview, and I forget who it was that was interviewing you, but you say, you know, kids aren't stupid, and even at an early age, uh, I could tell you which cartoons were better animated, even at five years old, you're not duped by thinking, oh, it's all animation, it's all the same, you know, I think it's so true.
2: Yeah, I do remember, I remember saying that, and it's absolutely true, yes, yeah, so like, oh, okay, well... And part of my brain said, "Well, I kind of get it. I think they had more time on this one." <laughs> <laughs> but my brain was saying, "Yeah, but you're still laughing, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah, it's still fun. So what am I complaining right. about?" <laughs> and, and then later, you discover things like UPA cartoons, and like, mm-hmm. "Oh, this is deliberately done." Well, they had a, also smaller budgets, but they're deliberately working in their budgets to be incredibly artistic and talented. You know?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm um hbo max recently debuted and they have a large swath of looney tunes uh which has been great because the new
0: looney tunes right or is it the old as well
1: the original looney tunes they also do have the newer series oh okay cool but they have tons of the classics and you even get to see when you know there are a lot of early for those who are unfamiliar i'm certainly not trying to teach David Silverman about this, but there are many... Teach
2: me about it, Allie.
1: Well, I've never Julia, heard
2: of Looney Tunes.
1: <laughs> well, when a, a, a mother and a father bunny love each other very much. Um, <laughs> it is very funny just to see before you get Bugs Bunny or Porky Pig looking how we know them to look, they still appeared in these uh, shorts. And so you will get a Bugs type Character who still says "What's up, Doc?" or something like it, but the the voice is really different. the The style looks very different, and it's really cool right. because you're getting to watch it unfold over mm. a matter of years. Whereas, and you get a little bit of that on The Simpsons as well, of course. Well, I was gonna
2: say, kind of like The Simpsons, where yeah, you know, Dan Castellaneta has always been the voice of Homer, but for first, very first, Good Night, Simpsons, he was still playing around with it. He didn't really land on it. Yeah. Really, Until the show. I mean, during the Tracy Ullman days, he was doing a Walter Matthau impression and he'll, you know, owe yes. <laughs> up to that. And that was sort of his go to, I mean, kind of, you know, by uh, adjusting it. But what he found, he's often said in his own interviews that when he's doing the show, he found he was doing a lot of yelling. It was hard to do Walter Matthau's voice because it's more up in the head tone and he just put mm. it down to the chest. And that's sort of how that would happen to Homer's voice. The first real Bugs Bunny cartoon was called "A Wild Hair," where you had it was Tex mm-hmm. Every cartoon where you have Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Even though they're sort of you know proto versions of them, their characters and a lot of the the tropes were solidified in that very cartoon, which I find amazing. Absolutely. But you know that "Watch Up Doc" was a little bit more deeper. It wasn't quite <laughs> yeah. didn't get a little bit <laughs> higher. Although Elmer Fudd's voice is Arthur Q. Bryant, I guess that was one of his voices and so he did. But things. That cartoon opens up with, be very, very quiet. I'm hunting mm-hmm. rabbits. Ha ha, 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 The very first cartoon. And things like Bugs Bunny grabbing him by both cheeks and giving him a, and then, you know, doing a <laughs> swan dive into the rabbit hole. It's the very first, you know, real Bugs and Elmer cartoon, A Wild Hair in 1940. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting, as though, like you're saying, they look different, styles change and different in different hands of styles were different. Mm-hmm. A lot of – you look at that cartoon you say, okay, this is a trope. This is a trope. You could just have a checklist. Okay, <laughs> these are the things that happen. Oh, Bugs Bunny does the, you know, how to get out of a fix, you know, distract your enemy. <laughs> Start making faces at him. He'll make faces back at you and then have a hold of a sign saying silly, isn't he?
1: It'd be a good drinking game if you're not a child.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You can drink
0: juice. You can can slap it back.
2: (laughs) That's what happened. We started drinking alcohol as children and figure, I see another Bugs Bunny 12. Uh.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is all really interesting because I feel like it's impossible to not draw a parallel to what, you know, like breakout stars occurred in The Simpsons too, especially early on. It's like Bugs is the breakout star of Looney Tunes. And then at first it was Bartmania. And then it became a little bit more Homer-centric later. And it kind of like, it's interesting.
2: Mm -hmm. Right. And then Mr. Burns shows up. Burns and Smithers shows. And then there's Groundskeeper Willie shows and so forth. But going back to the very basics, what I wanted to say, one of the things of having a historian mom... Is that you go to the gallery a lot, especially because she was a docent at the National Art Gallery, Washington, D.C. And That's awesome. I like going to the gallery and I like seeing all the paintings. And I think what it did, does, much like if you learn languages when you're a kid, you know, that gets easy in your malleable brain to get hardwired. I think all these paintings were having a positive effect on my sense of composition because I was going to the gallery since I was like oh, four yeah. and yeah. sort of absorbing, looking at all these paintings it kind of helped me get a better natural sense of composition, you know, that I realized, oh, when I was studying composition, I'd say, oh, I already kind of feel that already. Maybe it's because of all this early training, you know? Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's actually really fascinating.
2: Yeah, I I think as just a guess of mine, I've always thought.
1: (laughs) I think (laughs) you're right, though. (laughs) Something that I read is that you and your family lived in Europe for a year when you were pretty yes. young
2: we were nine. I was nine years old and uh, we lived in Europe for a year my dad had worked there he was a professor of uh, chemistry in uh, chemical engineering rather at the University of Maryland he wow. had a sabbatical and we went we went to Europe actually he got a Guggenheim uh, grant to go wow. uh, do research in Europe at the Danish energy Commission and also the Royal college in london or i'm sorry in england outside of london so we lived in denmark for half the year and and, um, england and also we traveled around we went to france we went to vienna and we went to germany we went all places and many, uh, many an art gallery, many a cathedral, many a beautiful <laughs> sight. And I was, I was like, you know, I was like, wow, I've only seen the, you know, heard about the Louvre, and here I am at the Louvre. and Wow, I'm at the Eiffel Tower now.
0: Even at nine years old.
2: Even at you're nine years old, but you know, you're 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 alive, and your life is your life. I mean, you, you don't say, oh, I'm only nine. You're like, oh, I've right, on this for a while.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I was saying I'm only nine. I feel like I was born with like a forty year old's brain.
2: Yeah, so all these experiences were very good in the in a pre, you know, pre computer, pre anything home entertainment. That was the other thing too. Is that we we I, we entertained each other, my brother and I, by you know drawing pictures and doing skits with each other and like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that you mentioned uh, in this interview that you didn't really. I, I think in Copenhagen, you guys didn't have a TV.
2: In neither place.
1: That's great. I mean, as much yeah. as it terrifies me, that's also like excellent because when you don't have yeah. distraction all the time, you're finding yeah. ways to entertain
2: yourself. Oh, we had plenty of distractions. Yeah, exactly. But, <laughs> but just living in Copenhagen was kind of distracting. That is true. That is true. And also living in London is kind of is I thought it's kind of distracting. Although I did go to a friend's house. There are two things I did uh, listen to. I did find out in London. I didn't know what they were until later. I was listening to the Goon show and not realizing it. I was listening to reruns of the Goon Show because I was listening to this crazy show. And I was like, wow, this is hilarious. This is nuts. What the hell is this? And then when I found out later, years later, oh, it's a goon show. I was a goon, a fan of the goons <laughs> when I was, you know, nine, ten years old. The other thing I saw for the first time was Doctor Who, before anybody in America had seen Doctor Who, I would imagine. Because this oh, wow. was like 1967. What was interesting to me was uh, Doctor Who was was filmed was it was on on, at the time, was uh, on you know on videotape, and um, so I told my friends I, was, I saw the science fiction soap opera. It's really interesting because <laughs> that was our <laughs> point of view. Things are, soap operas were on videotape; everything else was you know on yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyhow,
1: I love that.
2: Well, the other thing that happened when we were in um, Europe is my dad had a Super Eight camera, and we were making little films and things like that. Then he hmm. told me about. Then he told me about the single frame on it, and then that got me really interested. So when we got back from Europe, that's when I started doing stop motion animation, with, you know, with like clay and things. I also, did, doing pixelation of like doing time lapse of clouds and, uh, you oh, know,
1: that's so cool. Or,
2: you know, people running around and things like that. It's just experimenting. And then we also had a regular eight camera that you could rewind. So I was doing like, you know, old timey special effects like split screens and ghost effects cool. and double exposures and things like that. It just like. You know, I was all into matters of cartooning and special effects movies and science fiction films and things like that. That was my childhood. Oh, and music. Don't forget music. Yes. Oh, I can't forget music. We're getting (laughs) to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Briefly, just in case... uh uh, we've certainly talked about it on the show before, but to our new listeners, David, the reason you and I know each other is because we both were on a show uh, in Hollywood somewhere and, uh, right. oh, Iowa Io West before it shut down. And um, yep. I told you like, oh, I have a song about Millhouse, and uh, we quickly <laughs> rehearsed it and you were just like, I'm going to play my tuba. And it was <laughs> unbelievably fun. And our first time Why meeting, did we, know we did a duet.
2: <laughs> wow. That's how we met. We yeah. met in a duet. <laughs>
1: We met in a duet and actually friend of the show, Simon Ore is the person who connected us that night. And I think you and I were bonding over uh, our, our appreciation of IPAs that night.
2: uh, You know, now it's all coming back to me. Yes. You were quite the IPA ish type. Uh, Yeah. um, Yeah. But that, but music is a very important aspect of it. Not just playing the old tuba, but I've always been a fan of music, uh, particularly classical music and symphonic music and I was drawing pictures of like musicians. I was also inspired by this guy named Jared Hoffnung. I recommend him. Jared Hoffnung, who coincidentally, I found out later, was also not only a cartoonist, but a tuba player. Um, And anyhow, he did a lot of cartoons about musicians and music in general. That inspired me, and I did the same thing long story short, I ended up doing a caricature of the entire national symphony orchestra in Washington, DC (laughs) between the ages of 18 and 20 before going off to UCLA. And that was kind of formative, you know, development in my drawing skills. And also led to, when I got to LA, uh, I was classmates with Charles Solomon and Charles Solomon, you know, great animation historian and critic. He was already a, like a stringer critic for, uh, the Los Angeles times. And he, Martin Bernheimer, the chief music critic was looking for a cartoonist who had an affinity to music. And Charles recommended me and I sent him some drawings and they got published. And then (laughs) I was doing semi-regular work for Martin Bernheimer, a guy from Alfred publishing, a music publishing company, saw my work. He's no longer with us named Sandy Feldstein. He saw my work, got in touch with me through the paper I got involved with Alfred Publishing, I did some publicity work for them. They were doing a new line of piano books, so I illustrated that called Alfred's Alfred's Basic Piano Library, still in print and still using my drawings in some (laughs) issues. See, music is very helpful (laughs) in many things.
1: Yeah, something that we um, kind of uh, come across when we have these interviews with different people who've worked on the show is that their affinity for another thing uh, really helped them get their foot in the door because it helped them stand out. And so for people who are kind of wondering how, like, oh, how do I make it as a writer or as an animator or this or that? I think real life experience and a love of your hobbies and the other things that make you a person are usually a huge help because you want to be distinctly
0: you and not be so singularly uh, focused. Right. Well, the Mm. other
2: thing too is that um, I think having a sense of musicality, which many animators do, whether they play an instrument or just are passionate about music is it helps your obviously your rhythm and timing? Your timing. Yeah, yeah, that, I was just yeah. about to say
0: um, because right as on. you know, I'm married to an animo- animator and uh, he fucks around with music, and I know so See? many other animators that fuck around with music. And it oh yeah, it didn't occur to me until you know uh, I met him that I was like, oh yeah, you need to have a sense of timing if you're going to be yeah. animating a shot and Comes you know the walk right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that's so in handy, interesting.
2: Or just timing things out in your head about movement, like okay, is we here, and you wait for it, and you. And comedy is all about timing. Many right. comedians are excellent musicians as well, uh, so it it happens. It just happens all the time that way. Yeah, uh, Firehouse Five Plus Two. You know, you yeah, had like yeah. two of the greatest, you had two of the nine old men in it. You know, Ward Kimball and Frank Thomas, uh, amongst other people. Uh, but clearly those guys were two of the top animators at the studio, and they're quite musical.
0: I wanted to say earlier when you mentioned going to the art galleries and, you know, having, like, this absorption of, you know, understanding composition, I, you know, only know how to relate to this as being a writer, but um, for me, it makes me think of what I always think in in how to, like, get stronger at writing and, and trying to find the rhythms of, you know, scenes, especially as a comedy writer, I feel like, you know, to get the 10,000 hours, it's really just about forming the muscle memory in your brain and in your fingers to, right. like, do the things that you wanted to do. And I can't yep. help but draw that parallel between, like, you know, for a young comedy writer watching sitcoms and getting the muscle memory of, like, how right. the pacing of dialogue should be. And you were getting the same thing with composition in an art gallery. It just feels like things that should be different, but they feel so close together. Oh, yeah. And I'm happy to have that bond.
2: (laughs) Well, Matt Selman always tells young writers, you know, uh, just write something every day. Just write something, you know. And I think the same thing is just sort of keeping your brain a lot, uh, you know, flexible and keeping your those muscles uh, active. But, uh, yeah, it was very interesting because, um, you know, I got out. uh, uh, I went uh, first to the University of Maryland for two years. And uh, I made a film there that helped me get into UCLA probably. I mean, yeah, the
1: strange case of uh, Mr. Donnie Brooks boredom.
2: That was made at UCLA, but before that, I made a film called Surreal Estate, clay animated film that <laughs> got me into yeah, it's a pretty good title. Got me into UCLA, <laughs> probably, and I tr- transferred to UCLA, the animation workshop, Professor Dan McLaughlin, uh, also a great guy, may he rest in peace. Mm. That's that's where I got started. Yeah, and that's where I did the strange case of Mr. Donnie Brooks boredom, <laughs> and also a shorter film called Mariner Man. And uh, I was supposed to do three films to get my master's degree. But after the two films, they said, OK, you're good. Get out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I thought was cool is an anecdote that you have about the Kodak Teenage Movie Awards, where you kind of became friends with Eric Goldberg, who's incredible.
2: Yes, Eric Goldberg. I was like, by the way, it was great for many reasons, because, you know, Uh, You know, growing up in Silver Spring, Maryland, and, you know, making films in high school and so forth, I was the only one doing it. I mean, I had some other (laughs) friends doing it, but, you know, so I didn't know anybody else. Then I go to, I enter it in the Kodak Teenage Movie Awards, which is a great thing that Kodak (laughs) did when it was a colossally big company. This is in 1974. And they put us up in the plaza. We were the winners. And they had the good fortune. Uh, probably they saw our films and said, "We got to put these cats together." And <laughs> Eric Goldberg and I shared a room together, and we got along famously, obviously. And of uh, Eric Goldberg <laughs> was already a genius. I mean, I think Eric Goldberg is like, like the Mozart of cartooning and animation. <laughs> he was born genius with a golden pencil in his hand. Well, of course, Eric Goldberg is one of the great, great top animators of. This, this generation and uh, most famous for doing the genie character in Aladdin. But he also worked for Richard Williams for many years uh, in, in, in London uh, animating. Then he had a studio called Pizzazz Pictures uh, doing, you know, uh, commercial work and so forth and industrials animation work. And then he went to, to, to Disney. It was co-director on Pocahontas and, you know, did Phil and uh, Hercules. I mean, just crazy talented. But what I'm getting at is, you know, he make little flip book cartoons and I did think Eric was making flip book cartoons of duck season, wabbit season, duck season, <laughs> as if he was... You know Ken Harris or Benny Washam, two mm-hmm. of Chuck Jones's top animators. I mean, it was it was like, oh my god, how are you doing this? This is before you had any videotape, friends. Yeah. Well, he did a mm-hmm. Super Eight movies. Maybe he's referencing that because they didn't even have Super Eight movies. You get films, but it was amazing. You look at the flipbook and said, my god, this is beautiful. I mean, like Doug's Daffy Duck was his beak skewed, pushing it in That's place. That's so looking, great! You know, wow. It's like, <laughs> but Eric is unbelievable. Uh, and yeah. was a great, but also was a great thing to meet somebody else who was doing this because I was like, you know, he lived relatively close by. Uh, <laughs> it was funny; we were the only guys from the East Coast. Uh, everyone else was from California, who was winners. But he lived in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I lived in Silver Spring, Maryland, and wasn't too far of a train ride to go back and forth. And we visited each other. I even visited him once in London when he was working for Richard Williams. And had lunch with the great Ken Harris, uh, but I also, uh, while I was at UCLA, I took lessons from Ben Washam, Benny Washam. He was just teaching animation for free because he wanted to make sure it didn't get lost. Uh, it was it was really cool. He was a wonderful guy. Uh, lived down Mount Olympus and had a lovely place and modest. And he was he was actually quite a good chef. He was uh, he actually you know he did the, you know the drawing of Bob's uh, big boy. That's Benny Washam. He did the drawing, the original drawing. uh, He was uh, the guy who ran the restaurant. Was a friend of his and wanted him to go into business with him, but and wow. he said, no, I like being a cartoonist.
0: I'm so glad that when that news broke recently that they were changing up the uh, mascot that they, it was just a, a very brief uh, promo that they're keeping <laughs> the boy and Bob's big boy. America big cannot endure any more atrocities. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with uh,
1: with Eric, uh, it seems like he, he actually kind of uh, helped inspire you or, um, you know, kind of motivate you to, to do the switch from the University of Maryland to actually like pursuing yes. animation.
2: Well, uh, I think I already had that in mind. But the other thing he he was really because I was into clay animation, and and he looked at my cartooning and he said, "And look, I was not nearly as good a cartoonist." ever is Eric Goldberg in my life. (laughs) And especially then (laughs) I've gotten Mm -hmm. better, but I'm still like, you know, it's like, you're pretty good. I'm pretty good. (laughs) But Eric's, you know, we're talking about factors of 10 or factors of 20 anyhow, (laughs) but he's a wonderful guy and very inspiring. And he liked my drawings. He said, I don't know. You should, you should think about animating your, your drawings, you know? And he was very inspiring. He basically encouraged me because he thought my drawings looked funny. And the other inspiration I got from that was when I met, uh, uh, Bill Bowingle Scott, Bill Scott, who was the voice of Bowinkle in *The Little of He was uh introduced. Dan McLaughlin introduced us, and uh, anyhow, he became a good friend and mentor. Of course, he was not only he was also the creator, co-creator of the *Rocky and Bullwinkle* show. As a writer, um, he was a he was a animation writer. That means to say, he was he was a you know he's writing with a pen with a you know pencil. He was uh, <laughs> doing storyboard writing. Oh, which by the way, that's how he got the voice of doing Bowinkle, You know. Because he was pitching know. the boards, he was pitching the boards to Jay. He hadn't done. A, he wasn't a professional voice artist at the time. He had tried acting. He and his wife had tried acting. They even went to. They left California for a while to try up Broadway. It didn't work out for them. They came back. Oh wow! Uh, but he was pitching the boards to Jay Ward, and he was doing different voices. And he doing this voice for Bow Winkle, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and and then Jay is saying, well, you know, he's asking who's going to do the voices. And he, Jay's getting a lot of, you know, cartoon and radio people who are really great, like, you know, Paul freese who was at the time.
1: Oh, I love.
2: Deb- yeah. Yeah, he, was, did, he did a lot of radio and the same with Hans Conrad and William Bill Scott, uh, uh, Bill Conrad, who was the voice of Matt Dillon, you know, and the, the narrator and June Foray as Rocky. And it's like, well, who are you going to get for? Boinkle. and Jay looked at him and said, "Well, I thought you'd do it." But I guess that was, that's what it was like back then. And but he yeah. also was—he was so good at it. But he was really good at it because he would do that. Yeah. He did a lot of the those very sort of funny, kind of Chico Marx Italian accent characters. <laughs> of course, he did. Mm-hmm. He did um, uh, Mr. Peabody, which yeah. was his, uh, you know, his Walter Clifton impression, and uh, Dudley DeWright, which he called the strangulated tenor uh in a melodrama <laughs> voice you know oh no oh. you know that it's sort of so thing so good <laughs> anyhow uh but but oh i was getting i was getting the story oh so he he looked at me once and he said david a lot of people draw well you draw funny and i thought okay i think that's <laughs> i think i should take that to the bank And <laughs> I, I said that's great i'm, I'm glad i draw funny <laughs>
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, well, I think it's time for us to take our first break.
0: OK, let us let us all draw funny on this break.
1: When asked, how can Max Fund best support you right now? Haley in Bellingham, Washington said, keep on making stuff. Having friendly podcasts to keep me company is a big help. Hell yeah, I love that. Yes, I honestly couldn't agree more. I have taken so much comfort from listening to Max Fun shows, and it really helps in a time where the world is a little bit
0: chaotic. I mean, I can't express it enough as a listener myself. I was a listener before. I'm a listener during, baby. Um, <laughs> I And I also feel like especially, you know, we're coming to you during a crazy, crazy time. We are in the middle of a pandemic. Um, I feel like we've all been shot forward into our retirement selves. And my <laughs> retirement self likes to take long walks in my neighborhood <laughs> listening to podcasts. And it's yeah. nice because often this is how I tell time.
1: well this last the last round springfield came out a week ago so that means Hmm. it's time to do laundry Um, exactly (laughs) so uh but in all sincerity we do know that this is a really crazy time there are really amazing places that you could be spending your money right now we also know that a lot of people are unemployed including yours truly. And so we know that not everyone can donate. However, if you are in a position where you can, we would love for you to invest in our show because we put so much energy into the episodes that we put out and it's going to go such a long way. And we appreciate your support so much
0: yeah so how do you support us Uh, visit maximumfund.org join most people choose five dollars or ten dollars a month and some support at 20 a month or more do what you're comfortable with so once again that website is maximumfund.org join contribute any level that you're comfortable at it's really easy to navigate Um, it's all right there and we'll tell you about some really cool gifts you can get during our next break David,
1: I wanted to talk about, you know, you've gotten to meet, it seems like, some of the greatest talent that y- you were alive at the same time as, which is amazing. One of the people <laughs> that I'm really blown away that you got to meet, and I'm wondering to what extent, uh, is Chuck Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that uh, at the Focus Award Festival, he actually seems to have voted for your movie, the first film at UCLA.
2: Yeah, I Donnybrook. Yes, Strange Case of Mr. Donnybrook's Boredom. I oh, entered it in the Focus Film festival films of college and university students, uh, sponsored by Nissan.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: contractually obligated,
0: it. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I know.
2: Yeah, they're very happy about that. They're very happy with <laughs> this def- defunct competition.
0: <laughs> I but mean, get that money. The gr- yeah,
2: the great thing was that um, Martin Landyale and Barbara Bain were the hosts of it. They were still married at the time, so I also got to meet Martin Landile. Wow, who. Mentioned to me that he started out as a cartoonist, and he did. He was a cartoonist when he was like professional cartoonist, when he was like eighteen or something like that, very young.
0: Wow! And then
2: he decided to go at acting. He was also studying acting, and of course, the great Chuck Jones, who I was overjoyed to meet, and he was couldn't be nicer. He was lovely and funny, and so forth. And I'd start him saying, "Well, good luck, David. You know, I voted for you." (laughs) Oh. <laughs> it's okay. Thanks oh you. wow! It's like wow. And then I remember when they said, you know, and you know, the the first prize in animation category goes to David Silverman. Blah blah blah. blah And I remember coming back from the podium after saying thank you and all that. And you know, it was a big crowd in there. And I passed by Chuck Jones. He's applauding, saying, "Told you." Oh. <laughs> oh my God!
0: What a moment! he surreal. must have been on cloud nine.
2: I think it was cloud nine. That's what it's like yeah. being a cloud yeah.
0: <laughs> Glad
1: we cleared um, that up. <laughs> so, so there are a lot of things that we want to uh, ask you about, but one thing that just jumps out yeah. to both of us is that you were on to tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> what, <laughs> what the hell?
0: <laughs> I mean, tell us about it.
2: That was really wacko for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, yeah, it was one of those shows I saw as a kid, you know, right. tell the truth. And not only that, there are people on that original panel. Now it was like the, the daytime show version of it back when they had those things. And three of the original people were on there, Orson Bean, Peggy Cass, and Kitty Carlisle, um, <laughs> were on as, as the you know people to try to see. And the whole thing about to tell the truth is you have to tell the truth. So if they ask me a question, I have to tell the truth. So, you know, which would be like, you know, if they ask me, well, what's the name of Homer's boss? I have to say, you know. Mr. Burns. I can't bluff. I can't say, you know, uh, you know, I can't say Mr. Skinner because then I'd be lying and I'd be saying, Oh, he can't be him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. No, you have to show that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that, that's the first one. The other thing that happened was originally they had a different thing, a slightly different format where they had a one-on-one thing. You would say two statements. One was truthful about who you were. Like I'm director of the, the Simpsons or I did such and such, you know, and uh, and that was going to be my, my job on the show. And, you know, they film, you probably know, they film like five shows in one day. Right. But what happened was when I get there, I said, David, we've decided to change it. This is just too good that you're directing The Simpsons because we want to start the whole show with like, you know, I'm David Silverman. Who the hell are you? You know, it's (laughs) it's going to start with Bart Simpson's in the corner. And he's going to go to each one saying, I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? I'm David Silverman. I'm Bart Simpson. Who the hell are you? Like that. And I said, okay, that's fine. And they said, well, here's the thing, though. You see, normally what we do is we get you like two imposters and you have like a day to talk to them and prep them. You have like a couple of hours. And I said, okay. And (laughs) the thing is, you have to remember the Simpsons had not been on for a year yet. So my two imposters wow. are asking me, so they're asking me questions like, well, what's the name of Homer's boss? And what's the name of Bart's, Who's? what's the name of the bullies again? And what's the name of the uh, principal? I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> going to guess me. And then we had a, a practice before the show. They had a rehearsal. Um, you know, I think when I think about it, I think there was a day beforehand that we, when we shot it. We couldn't have done this all in the same day. Uh, but anyhow, so they had a, you know, like a fake, panel just to sort of see how it was going to go and see if they have any notes. And apparently at that sort of like fake, you know, see how it was going, they said, David, you're way too animated. You're moving around, your eyes are flashing, <laughs> you're waving your hands. You're everybody's going to guess you. So just, <laughs> you just just pull it down a little bit. It's okay. So I was I did that. I just sort of like, so if you see it, I'm a a little bit on the stiff side. That's really right, funny. Right. What happened was nobody, nobody guessed me. There was two oh votes for gosh, number. Oh my You
0: there were two. two votes for number
2: one, and the two votes for number three. And we literally, deal, David Silverman, please stand up. And of course, I stood <laughs> up. And then I, then I batted, then I batted my eyes in a cartoony way. You know.
0: <laughs> I love the kid logic of you're way too animated. They'll know you're an animator. Get exactly. off the stage. I know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they might have been right. Because the other two guys were pretty dull, so no offense, you know, <laughs> to them listening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that was at the end of 1990. So the show had been on basically for a year at that time, because you know, as a, as a series, not including the two years on the Tracy Ullman show, because the so-called premiere of the show, well, the real premiere of the show was uh, January 14th, 1990. But we had the what became the Christmas special uh, right. on December seventeenth, nineteen eighty-nine. And uh so yeah, and this to tell the truth segment was like around Christmas time. Actually it was a really fun because we had we had these other shows and we, you know, we hung I actually I met Hank Ketchum, who does Dennis the Menace. Wow. Did, I'm sorry, oh, did wow. Dennis the Menace. Yeah, he was doing another bit for another day. But as I say, we they filmed all five days on the same day. And I met the late great Orson Bean who just recently passed away. Uh, and we became pals and we would write Christmas cards to each other. Oh, that's amazing. Thing, speak to that's each so other. Sweet. Yeah. Cause he said, <laughs> he saw afterwards he met, he met up with him. He said, David, I have to tell you, my son and I have a date every Sunday night to watch the Simpsons, you know, since you've been oh. on since the beginning. And Aww. he was, could, he could not be nicer. He was just the greatest.
1: Oh, I love that. That's so great.
2: Yeah. And also Kitty Carlisle was great. I was, she was impressed that <laughs> I knew that she was in a night at the opera as the, the, uh, Singing Genu you know?
1: Of course. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was very, she was very flattered
2: that flatter he did. Yeah. <laughs> Night of the Opera. Great Marx Brothers film.
1: Just in terms of Marx Brothers films, just because when else can I talk about it? Something that <laughs> uh, my sisters and I thought was funny uh, was inside of our closets. We would have this one sticky note that we would just kind of pass Back and forth on each other's doors, which is just those clothes don't fit you. Which is a uh, which is a Marx Brothers quote. If for those listeners that don't know, <laughs> <laughs> he's talking to a clown. Uh, but anyway, right. <laughs> <laughs> we spoke a little bit about Vod and the villains. Yes, but I would like to speak more, and I really want to know kind of about Burning Man and your time there.
2: I'll just jump right into this because the first person who told me about Burning Man was. Uh, George Meyer, one of the a great writers, right, producers yeah. on the show. Um, he had first gone in, I think, 1995 or 96. And he told me about it. And I was like, wow. And him explaining about it. I just really couldn't fathom it. You know, and then it was written up in Wired magazine, I think, around that time. Another guy, Kevin O'Brien, who's a board artist uh, now. He's been at Pixar for a long time, but he was a board artist in The Simpsons. He had already gone. And so i would known about it. And uh, yeah, so I first went in 2001. Thankfully, I met somebody who was shooting a documentary there. And I went, you know, taking my video camera, being another camera operator, uh, and wow. uh, had a great time. And I, I literally, except for this year, because it's not happening. I've been every year since 2001.
1: Yeah, I wanted to ask you your experience with it and how it has uh, changed. Because, you know, I think we talked about this maybe briefly on one of the other times that you were Mm. on our show. But my uncle Steve, who also is a really cool artist, and I love him very much. Mm -hmm. He's the person who inspired me to draw and be silly and, you know, do jokes, I guess. And um, he went when you know, everyone thought it was this weird thing to do. Certainly no uh there were hot girls there, but they were weird hot girls in a really cool way, you know, like (laughs) they really weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But um my uncle every year would go uh in the same costume. I guess he kind of would go as a character, which was kind of Common. Right. He would always right. go as this really cool gargoyle. And um, I ended up doing that costume as well uh, one year, not at Burning Man. I still have never gone. But I remember the conversation around it was very different. And it was really this really cool place for artists and weirdos and kind of like, you know, a place to find your people um, at the beginning. And uh, there's still, I'm certain that still exists in, in a lot of ways there.
2: It does. It absolutely does. I mean, the thing is, to me, my mind, Burning Man is whatever you make of it. Regardless exactly. of what year you go yeah. to. I love that. You can have the same experience I life had, life. <laughs> you know, 2001. Now, it's just, you know, just have a great time. And I'm still doing art there. And, you know, it inspired me. For me, there was a great musical awakening happening in me that started at Pixar when I started playing uh, music with Bud Lucky and Pete Doctor and Bob Peterson and Jeff Webodo wow. and Ricky Nerva. You know, we had our band uh, uh, and then others uh, call it the War Room Rascals. our version of the Firehouse Five Plus Two playing New Orleans style <laughs> jazz. And I learned how to play New Orleans style jazz. I mean, I knew how to, I knew about it, but I really the penny dropped when I was playing with them. I got be very good at, at playing on the tuba and be able to pick up things by ear. And now I have that ability much better. But, it's, but it only improved at Burning Man because I met up with this group called the Burning Band, which is an adjunct of a band in the Bay Area called the Los Trancos Woods Community Marching Band. And it was kind of my introduction to playing with other groups of musicians, which helped when I joined Vaude and the Villains in 2009. So, you know, it's not that far away. It was eight years later yeah. when Vaude and the Villains. Wow. And not only that, like I went in 2001 and by 2005 I had – Conceived of the flaming tuba. So, you know, <laughs> I guess I don't, I don't know. <laughs> there's, some, there's something going on. And then, I of, love course, it. then of course, Ka- Caroline Omani writes an episode where they go to Blazing Guide and she puts me in it as the flaming tuba guy. So, which that. was which is nice because I got a got not only got character like, I got to voice myself and also play the tuba. So,
0: <laughs> so you mentioned Pixar, which I'm I'm glad you did because I really wanted to ask about. You are credited on Monsters Inc. with additional story material and a co director. What additional story material did you contribute?
2: <laughs> well, I, I I don't know. It was just because we had, of course, two terrific writers, great late Dan Gerson. And the great Robert Baird, and also Andrew Stanton who wrote the original outline. And also, Pete mm-hmm. Doctor and uh, who had the original story idea, along with uh, Jeff Pigeon, and Bob Peterson, and I guess uh, Bob Peterson, and uh, also the great late Joe Raft. Very, very much missed Joe Raft, and I had additional story material. I guess it's because we had added so much specifically, mm. you know, material to the story. I couldn't say – I do know that um, there would be times where I would write an outline for a sequence, you know, for Dan Gerson and, and Robert Baird that just sort of like gave the rough – and I it, I would often write things – I would type, and type them in, in red just, you know, uh, uh, just so – this is what the subtext of the dialogue is. You guys are better at dialogue than I, but this is what I'm trying <laughs> to say here. And many times they would leave it in. They said, well, we couldn't think of anything funnier. I said, okay, well, that's oh, good.
0: Oh, what a compliment. So,
2: yeah, very, it was a great compliment because I didn't fancy myself to be a professional writer like these guys. But um, also I think I really helped in shaping the way that the the first act changed. We had a, well, going into all the details, we had a big change in how the first act started and the relationship between uh, Sullivan and Mike and also Sullivan at the at the at the uh plant. Originally he wasn't the top scarer and then we rejiggered it that way. So perhaps it was that.
1: I can't that's imagine so it being different. It's yeah. So iconic.
2: No, it is. And that yeah. that was the point that I was trying well, I think Pete and I both had the same ideas. Like that's the point. He's a top scarer and that's his story. He goes from top scarer to like I ain't gonna scare kids no more. That's the story. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's about like an ego kind of being tested and you know, sort of new old guard.
2: Yeah, your values. You know, what are your values? So they great like, wait, the thing that I'm trying to be the best at, I don't want to do that.
0: Oh, right.
1: It makes me emotional. I love that movie so much.
2: But that's the Monsters Inc. Still holds up for me. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, it's just me it's too. really. I think it's because we worked within the limitations that we had in a, in a smart way, and we said, well, this is where we're going to spend it, and here's where we're going to it's going to work it. But, and it's the it's style of it. It's very interesting too. By the way, yeah. again, it's a connection because the reason why I got involved. I mean, I'd known Pete Doctor and I had known each other, but um, Rich Appel, who's um, well, Simpson, a Simpson writer and a producer, he was brother in law to Steve Jobs. And that's wow. how Steve Jobs got a what a
0: Thanksgiving me. dinner. Jeez. <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, anyhow, I I've had a weird life
1: uh yeah actually your life is so fun and very much what i at least as an outsider i I would say that and you seem to live and breathe artist and creative. It's funny because, you know, we predominantly talk to writers and, mm. you know, we ourselves are writers. And I think there's a shared neuroses that a lot of writers will have, which, you know, often is the source of some humor. And it's funny because the artists we've talked to, not that they don't experience neuroses. Of course, everyone does to some extent, but the the attitude is is in my opinion, very different, <laughs> and it's really funny to me. Like the the artist really has this very artistic way of looking at the world in a very you know kind of a posy attitude. And yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty well, it kind of helps. It's I pretty think. fun
2: if you're gonna if you're gonna be an art artist, it's good to have an artistic point of view.
0: You would so. help, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you would think. Well, I feel Comes like I know handy. I know grass is always greener, but from my vantage point, it seems like it's a little. I mean, to say it's less competitive is not entirely accurate, of course, because all career trajectories are competitive, but it feels like there's a greater sense of community, perhaps because there's such teamwork and volleying from different you know positions on the animation crew that you guys have right. to be in sync in order right. to make the end product better whereas in like a writer's room it's a rip off
2: <laughs> well here's here's real quickly because i know we wanted to talk a little about this because people ask well how did you get into the simpsons in the first place yeah. and well part of it was related to the focus animation um festival or the film festival because two years later i i met uh, another winner which was uh Bill Kopp, it was mm. in 1984, and then in 1985, he was working with his another uh, friend of his from, from uh, CalArts, was S- Steve Holland, aka Savage Steve Holland, on a film called One Crazy Summer that had the animation <laughs> of the cute and fuzzy bunnies, so I got involved in animating the cute and fuzzy bunnies, and another <laughs> animator there was Wes Archer, also from CalArts, And uh, Wes Archer had worked for a small company called Classy Chupo. And in 1987, Classy (laughs) Chupo got a contract from Gracie Films to animate uh, M.K. Brown and Matt Groening's work for a show called The Tracy Almond Show. Wow. And that's how it happened. So there you go, folks. Meet people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that is that is the lesson. That is absolutely what we are learning from this. And uh, just in terms of Gracie Films, um, that also seems to uh, work with the you, you did animation for the Edge of Seventeen. Um, yes, which that is, was fun. Uh, produced by Gracie Films, that movie is incredible, and I love oh, it. It's a great
2: film. It's a great film.
1: To anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, I can't recommend it enough. It, it's honestly got all the things that people like in the movie. I think it's excellent.
2: Yeah, it is. It's, it's just really great. And it, that was a lot of fun because I was, you know, I they thought, well, David actually did this stuff when he was 17, so why don't we <laughs> have <him> try to <laughs> animate a film? And that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to say, well, what kind of – if I was at 17, I'd be using things like Photoshop or whatever to animate in this fashion in yeah. a way that's artistic but – oh limited because i don't have a lot of time and don't have a lot of money but this is the way i do it so <laughs> i yeah.
0: i love what you say about like just go out and meet people being you know like this you know great door opener for your life um i'm curious you know how do you feel like the has that advice not changed for current aspiring animators wanting to break in i'm sure covid complicates meeting people
2: <laughs> Well, it complicates <laughs> but- it but it's hard for me to say because you know now. now you look now. I'm, I'm like old, you know, like with the cobwebs. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I assume it's the same.
0: You don't, need don't to heard even hear it here anymore. first. I don't know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As Homer would say, you. I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I assume it's, it's 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 the same sort of thing. But uh, by the way, the other thing I'm happy to talk about because it's our it's not, it's not a secret anymore, but. Uh, I was able people asked me, you know, I, I stopped being supervising director after I directed the Simpsons movie to and being consulting producer to allow me to do other things and also still be connected with The Simpsons. So I took on directing this uh independent animated film written by three Simpson writers, Joel H. Cohen, John Frank, and Ralb Zebnik. Oh
1: wow. And
2: uh produced uh, by this company called Wink, animated and laid out really great company in, in Montreal called Cinesync. I'm sorry, Cinesite. Sorry, we use Cinesync. (laughs) The company Cinesite. (laughs) Sorry, Cinesite. Uh, And (laughs) co-directed by another Simpsons alumni and a great Disney alumni, uh, um, Raymond Percy, who uh, was a great one of great directors at the Simpsons and then left to be a a story artist at Disney for about eight years and also voiced many characters there, including the sloth in Zootopia. Oh wow! I love that sloth. <laughs> but anyhow, he was—he was—he's he was, he, wonderful, great, great, really great story guy, and uh, great co-director. And the film is called Extinct, and at some point it'll come out. I don't know when, maybe within the next year. Great vocal cast: Rachel Bloom, Adam Devine, Sassy wow. Beats, That's so uh, cool. uh, oh uh, Catherine O'Hare, uh, oh Reggie Watts. A lovely person that I'm glad is a friend of mine, Richard Kind. He's oh, a, wow. A God, his voice, man. Voice. I need
0: yeah, him in right. every single animated show. I love yeah, him. Big mouth. In <clears> throat> throat> I love it when he w- oh. just shows up. Oh, oh and
2: God. also, uh, I forgot what Jim Jeffries is in it. Oh, cool. Wow. I love that.
0: That'll
1: be amazing. Oh, and
2: uh, I, uh, by the way, and I have to say that the um, music is by Michael and Mick Giacchino. Mm. Uh, father and son composers. That's, oh my gosh! <laughs> and I wrote one song for it, so uh, we're looking forward to it coming out. Oh,
0: that's place. amazing! So,
1: uh, talk, talk a little bit more about writing the song. So, uh, how did you? How did you write it? Did you write it on out of your... necessity? <laughs> <laughs> not like all songs
2: are written, I feel. <laughs> well, I, in my case, it had to be because we had uh, we had a screening coming up. And we were trying to sell the idea of this song. It's the only song in it. It sort of is a way of actually helping exposition uh, in a better way instead of a lot of people just boringly telling tell, telling you stuff. And the song was very. It's a very funny song written by the the writers and two other uh, co writers, um, Jamie Woodham and uh, Matt Gossin, Uh Oh, called, I know we, Jamie. We call Woodham. it "Killing Time." Yeah. Wow. And that's so cool. uh, the lyrics were great. And I said, "Oh." We gotta have something. I said, well, I can write a stand. I I know enough about songwriting that I can write something. I can come up with a chord progression and just get some melody in there, and just just oh. to just to sell the song. And you know, and I did, and it's like, well, it's actually sounding pretty good. And um, <laughs> it just stuck. That's, <laughs> That's awesome! Happened. So
0: great. <laughs> Congrats on that. I love that. Get, get that that BMI money. <laughs> I'm oh, all about yeah, you getting yeah, money,
2: yeah. David. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll be. It'll be coming in uh, hundreds of pennies. In many years. Yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) So I, I believe that when you were on the show last, we talked a little bit about how, um, certainly we talked about how you directed the Simpsons movie. But I, I believe we at least touched on The Longest Daycare um, and uh, and the other Maggie short. I would love to hear just a little bit more about that. Because this, The Longest Daycare especially, I, I just was blown away by and thought that was the coolest thing. Um, and I personally- It was a lot of fun. Yeah,
2: yeah. It it was it was a very interesting thing. I remember, especially the longest daycare. uh, We had done a version of it, and then we kind of shelved it. You know, I thought, oh, it was really good. I kind of felt really dis, (laughs) like, oh man, put a lot of work into that. You know, and then it kind of got shelved, and then it and then it happened very fast because this was like in like in like June of, I guess it was two thousand and whatever. (laughs) <laughs> something uh it had been about uh yeah i guess it was 11 or something like that or maybe it was 10 anyhow and then the following um march we had a meeting at beginning of march i think it was march 1st or something like that and we had this meeting we're pitching all these ideas and this is like oh there's a much better way to, to sort of end it and then they all kind of look at me and say oh you got all that i was like what <laughs> <laughs> and i was like and they said well how soon do you think um you can have it boarded. And I said, well, maybe like two weeks. And Richard Reina says, can you do it faster? (laughs) I'll try. Wow. we got it boarded like in about, yeah, by March 15th, which is my birthday. I presented the very final to, uh, uh, James L Brooks. And he said, well, this is great. I don't have any notes. uh, Oh my gosh. And we had to get going because we had to get it onto ice age. Um, And it was coming out that, that summer. I said, okay. And so we did. And that was the other thing that the other thing that we did was we we were going to do it in the 3d and that was like, Oh man. But fortunately we had this really great guy uh, to do that. And uh, you know,
0: so it's just constant problem solving of like trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Readjust. uh, it,
2: It was kind of like, I mean, at the end of it, I looked at it, this is coming out well, but at the time I'm just trying to make it work. I'm not, I'm not thinking too lofty, you know. Sometimes when I'm waking up, I'm saying, "Oh, I don't know, this is, ah, uh, can I be more creative than this?" But no, I don't <laughs> have time. I got to get this done. And then I look back and I said, "Well, that looks all right. I guess that'll work."
1: <laughs> um, some something I think is really cool about uh the the very latest um a play date with Destiny. Mm which people can watch now because it it recently started streaming like just, just in April, I think. Am I wrong? Yes, yes, it yeah. on Disney. Um, Disney Plus, yeah, yeah. Disney Plus, which is so cool. And they finally got the aspect ratio correct um, yes, for the thank older you. seasons. On the show. Oh my Yay. God, that was driving me crazy. Yeah. Um, we, we,
2: we knew it was going to be a matter of time, but uh, you know. None of my friends believe me. For us me. fans, I said, no, no, no. it really
1: killed us. Um, but something I thought was really cool is um, the homage that you do, the visual homage you do to Spellbound.
2: Oh, good. You caught that.
1: <laughs> I love Alfred Hitchcock, and I thought it was really cool. It's just, So that it's a—it's just a really brief kind of – pretty much a shot for shot. Like it's, Very um, brief. Yeah, it is. is Maggie goes goes down the slide, and the POV the, of the the
2: bully goes down the slide. The boy, the boy, yeah, yeah. Maggie's sitting yes, by yes. the slide, playing. Yeah,
1: Matt, Maggie's at the bottom of the slide, and um, yeah. and yeah. Um, if you if you are familiar with that movie, there's it, it'll be clear to you. But it's basically a, a kind of a pivotal moment of Gregory Peck's character. It's, it, so- it's a
2: pivotal, yeah, it is a pivotal moment of his character where he realizes what his problem. Like a little
1: flashback that helps him. I won't spoil a play date with Des. uh, Or sorry, I won't spoil uh, either movie, really. Um,
2: (laughs) No, but it's fun. And and, and and by the way, I said, I'm going to put this in because A, it serves the purpose of the drama and B, it'll be an homage for anybody who's paying attention. Exactly. (laughs) And that's actually something Matt said a long time ago. Matt Groening said a long time ago. He said, the Simpsons reward you for paying attention. And that means all the esoteric Things that we throw in there, you know, from the beginning of these. I love of, it. You know,
0: Absolutely. references,
2: visual or, or literal, you know.
0: Yeah, I feel like you guys were playing to DVD rewatch culture before that was even the thing.
2: Yeah, we have, we call them freeze frame jokes long before <laughs> there was a way to easily free. We knew people were taping that and they'll think, well, they'll tape it and they'll freeze frame it and tell their pals.
1: I love that. <laughs> It's gift time. Who's ready for some
0: gifts? (laughs) Who's ready to open presents that you buy yourself?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you might not be ready to open presents, but we're about to tell you about some presents. $5 a month, you're going to get bonus content. Every year, if you've done this before, you know how amazing this gift is, and it's very affordable. That's the price of one coffee a month, and we know Mm -hmm. that you're having more than one coffee a month. So... If you want to get bonus content, which includes behind the scenes and really cool episodes that break the format of our show, definitely give that much. And at $10 a month, you'll get the bonus content and the really amazing enamel pins. And this year, our pin is based on Ion Springfield and it says
0: Round Springfield and it's honestly amazing. And so for $20 a month, you get a max fun game pack that is a custom velvet bag with the rocket logo a deck of custom max fun inspired playing cards this is perfect for this time it's like they could tell the future that we would all be you <laughs> know like whittling <laughs> on our rocking chairs and um <laughs> you know assembling puzzles i just feel like uh, i can see this you know campfire side. i can see this in you know like your living room you could have fun with it any way you want and then the 35 dollars a month level is a rocket camp logo mug i just mentioned camp Is there a coincidence? (laughs) Probably not because it was written together.
1: (laughs) I honestly think that this mug is so cool and it especially is perfect for this time. Uh, But even if we weren't all trapped at home and trying to have indoor little camping trips, it would be an excellent, excellent addition to your mug collection. So make sure that you check out join to check out all those amazing bonus gifts. So we're so grateful to our listeners and just want to remind you that we couldn't do this show without you. In fact, if we get enough support from you guys, we're going to extend our limited series by five additional episodes, which we're mm. really excited about and we really hope that you guys want. So just continue to show us your support through this pledge drive if you're able to support us and you will be getting a few more episodes from us, org slash join.
0: Yeah, it's like the difference between going to Itchy and Scratchy Land or going to Ogdenville, you guys. Think (laughs) about it. Really, we want to make this show for you guys. So if you want to hear more, let us know. And um, we're happy to hear from you anytime. So once again, that website is MaximumFun.org slash join, contribute any level that you're comfortable at. It's really easy to navigate. Um, It's all right there. Now let's get back to that episode. Let's do it.
1: So we're uh, about to wrap up and we didn't get to talk about any of your insecurities or failures or struggles. Um, I mean, I guess we can a lightning hangnail.
2: round.
0: Oh, I'm not okay. very insecure
2: of in my uh, hangnails. They're just uh, look, look at them. See, Thank
0: God. Hanging out oh, there. God. So he's um, not perfect. You heard it
2: here no. first.
1: Um, <laughs> so uh, is there any development that uh, you can discuss about the announced Pink Panther movie? Um, since we <laughs> on the Pink
2: Panther movie, I got nothing. That's been sitting around in mothballs for a while. i sure. like, Pink Panther movie? <laughs> what? <laughs> no. That old thing? Look, I'm very happy. By the way, I'm totally great, happy about one thing about that. I got to meet a couple of times with Julie Andrews, and that was wow. amazing.
0: Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah.
2: What does she um, smell she, like? <laughs> she is she is absolutely what you expect her to be. She is so wonderful and so lovely. And at the time we're meeting, say, oh, this is tea time. And she has like her tea trolley. And like, it's like, it's a great, and the other great thing about it, it was, she had an, probably it's not there now, but she had an office in, um, in uh, Brentwood and on the wall were these Hirschfeld drawings from Star, the Gertrude Lawrence uh, biopic she did and uh they're Hirschfeld drawings that were done for promotion and they depicted key moments in the film of performance and they were amazing and she was very wow. happy that I I, w- I so was overjoyed so cool. by them oh my god, <laughs> so she was so she was great yeah. that's
1: amazing. David you've had
0: so many moments like that with so many heroes
2: <laughs> this is turning yeah, into this cool is life. your life it's my it's 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 my own version of Forrest Gump I suppose you know
1: <laughs> and uh, I it is safe to say that you are the hero of many a young animator. And it is such a delight that you are apt- absolutely and it My is, amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're and it is amazing.
1: That's funny. I just watched Alice in Wonderland yesterday.
0: Yes, um, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Um, But it's it's such a delight that you are actually uh, what people would hope for. Um, and the, you know, cause you could have this hey, persona a
2: real, real heel. I know. Yes. yes. <laughs> they call me Mr. Mean old guy in showbiz. <laughs>
1: um, you, you know, it, it would be easy for you to come across this way, maybe just in a, a, you know, the occasional interview, but we could tell that you're being the real deal and that you're such a nice guy <laughs> and, and we really appreciate you taking the time to do our show. So thanks oh, so sure, much for coming absolutely. on.
2: Well, I enjoyed it. By the way, I enjoy being, friendly because i don't understand doing the opposite it doesn't make sense to me i don't get it
1: it would take a level of energy that doesn't people being jerks is
2: like okay if being a jerk makes you happy go ahead be a jerk i suppose (laughs) yeah exactly go that way I'm yeah. so happy being a jerk. <laughs> Take that! <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel empowered. Okay, your <laughs> thing.
0: Well, I'm, I'm sure it's it's shocking to anyone listening to this that uh, you know two women that host a Simpsons podcast enjoy positive things and celebration.
2: <laughs> but this is a definite uh,
0: posse corner, and uh, we're so happy to have you in it because you're a great addition for this conversation. Oh, that's very
2: kind of you. I love yeah. doing it, and I'll do it any time. Oh, we'd me.
0: love hell yeah. open door for you <laughs>
2: until uh, i bore you to tears so.
1: <laughs> not bloody likely all right so people can find you at Tupatron on twitter and is there anything else uh since we don't know anything yet about pink panther is there anything that you would like to promote
2: uh well i already promoted extinct uh, I'm also working on a, uh, a little show called Duncanville, which is awesome. Have yeah. you guys seen Duncanville? Oh,
0: Mike Scully's show and so many other seasons people Julie are on it? Scully
2: and uh, uh, Amy Poehler, and it's a great. Sh- I think it's a great show. I think it's. Hilarious. I think so too. It's really and good. I, I think it. Yeah, and it has its own real voice. You know, it's another. It's just an uh, animation. It's it's great to see that, and uh, mm-hmm. I think it's 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 a lot of fun, and it's a great vocal cast. And the oh, great, awesome. great animation group uh, over there at uh, Bento Box. Uh, wonderful company.
1: Oh, I love Bento great Box. Of,
2: yeah, that's a yeah, great studio. Great, great studio, and it's, it's an amazing array of talented directors and uh, animators. And, so. and
0: it's coming back for you a notice. second season, hopefully sooner Tis. than later. But they made yes. that announcement, and I'm very excited. Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yay. So there you well, go. Thanks, David. And uh, hey, Julia,
1: where can we find you?
0: Thanks so much for asking. You can find me at Julia Prescott on all the things. Allie, where
1: can people find you? Thank you so much for asking. You can find <laughs> me at Allie Gertz and All the Things, and you could find us at Simpsons Pod.
2: Oh, we can also find me on you can also find me on IG as Silver Ruti.
0: Ooh, Perfect. One hour. Two <laughs> hours uh, and round Springfield is a production of Maximum Fun. We're a member supported show, so go to MaximumFun.org slash join to contribute. Our booking manager is Hayes Ambrosio and our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Swish Smell you later.
1: Maximum Comedy and Culture. Artist owned.
2: Audience supported.